0: Since the very beginning God created marriage, but marriage has not always been done as the ideal would have it. Genesis chapter 2, we find out that God created man and woman and said it is not good that man should be alone. Since then, we have enjoyed being together, we have struggled being together, and sometimes we have hurt being together. But God has a plan, and He has a plan for marriage. My name is Trey Rhodes, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church, and it's glad to have you along as we continue our audio study guide. And had a great time, as I said last week, at our uh, small group conference in California. It was a great opportunity to really uh, just uh, think some things through and and get uh, information and so uh, one of the things that we do well and they appreciate is the audio study guide that we put out with all the materials that you need and they have not really done it to that extent and are going to look into it more so uh, hopefully um, you are able to benefit from all the materials and the audio study guide that we give you Um, I do want to remind you that if you take it on Apple for sure I know Apple you can click it on double speed and you can listen on double speed and as the 20 or 30-minute time can be 10 or 15 minutes. So just uh, wanted you to know that. Uh, one ho- housekeeping issue. When you get chairs from a, uh, a uh, one of the other Life Connection Group classes, what you need to do is either put them back when you're finished or, um, or get them some chairs to put into place. I think at this point, We can get chairs from the chapel because the uh, Gracia Church is no longer meeting there. So if you need to get a couple of chairs, then you probably can get them out of the chapel. So run down there and get them, and that will help you with the process of having enough chairs. Okay. All right, we're in Luke chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, Gospel of Luke, and we're talking about overcoming marriage's struggles. Uh, there's little differences in marriage that really irritate you, aren't there? You know, uh, somebody might want to do one thing. Somebody might want to do the other. The the big famous thing is which way do you squeeze the toothpaste? From the bottom up or from the middle middle out, you know? Or do you uh, put the toilet paper over top of the roll? Or do you put the toilet paper on the bottom of the roll? Or maybe uh, one, one of you was raised to uh, have a beautiful fastidiously clean house every single day all the time and some of you said you know it just doesn't matter to me so we just have differences and we got to work those out some of, some of them are small some of them are much larger um, so there are some challenges and that's where the larger come, come uh, the larger ones come in is there are challenges that are far greater than those minor struggles uh, maybe your spouse husband or wife has severely wounded you and uh, maybe the things that he or she has said about you is has really just messed you up, not I mean down to your core and put you through a lot of pain. Uh, marriage is can be that way. Marriage is a struggle. So if marriage is a struggle, because it is, and there are good times in marriage, uh, we have to ask the question, is there really any hope? Well, the passage we're going to talk about talk about today is Matthew 16, verses 16 through 18. It's the only reference in Luke's gospel. To the marriage relationship so i hope you'll go ahead and turn there as we get into this and uh it's all in only one verse matthew and mark give us a more extended teaching of jesus on marriage so if you want to go back and read that matthew 19 you find that in the ver- uh, first 12 verses verses 1 through 12 and then mark 10 and that's also verses uh through the first 12 verses so you might want to go back and read that, and it might help you understand a little bit what, mar- what Jesus is saying about marriage, okay? Well, uh, let's look, what we want to do today, before we go any further, is we want to look at some uh, principles that should help you to grow in your marriage as God intended. Some principles that can help you grow in your marriage, okay? Um, so here's, here's the first one. The three reasons that we struggle in our marriage and how we can overcome those struggles is first, this, Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching. So here is Jesus' teaching about what it means to be a, a godly husband or a godly wife and how we are to deal with it. Now, at first glance, it seems these verses be out of place because Jesus just told the story of a dishonest manager and served a rich man who ignores a poor man. In the middle of these parables, we have a teaching about law and marriage. And it doesn't seem like the teaching on marriage is connected at all. It's maybe, maybe you might think, well, just kind of a parenthetical thing by Luke. You just kind of stuck it in there, but it's really not random. Um, He's addressing the Pharisees because he's calling them out. He's already called them out for the love of money. And they said, you know, uh, I'm not that bad as you think because I'm just trying to follow the law. And so the experts, uh, you know, they're actually experts in all the, all the laws of God. And, um, but God knew their hearts. So in verse 16, they focused on law keeping, but now it's a new day, and the law and the prophets uh, were all the way until John. John is the last prophet. He's a, he really is a transitional, uh, uh, transitional figure that brings an end to the era of the old covenant and introduces the new covenant as he prepares the way of the Lord. So in Jesus, there's a new day, and the kingdom of God is present. The kingdom, the king is on earth, and his kingdom is on earth. And he has come to bring this incredible, glorious good news that salvation is available to all, not through law keeping, but through faith in what Jesus has done. So there's an urgency. He's saying now we should be entering the kingdom of God. And favor with God is not a matter of law keeping, but it is a matter of grace. So in verse 17, then we come at the same time. While it's a new day, it doesn't mean the Old Testament law and prophets are done away with. Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He said that in Matthew 5, 17. So what was the purpose of that law? Not to give us a rule book, but to show us the character of God. What he desires from his people is our inability to live his standard, and he wants to demonstrate to us that we need a Savior. So the law shows us that God is holy, and he expects us to live holy as well. Yet, we can't. We constantly fail to live up to God's standard, right? That's why we need a Savior. Um... The essence of the law is that we love God with all our heart, we love our neighbor as yourself, and we fail. But Jesus doesn't. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't and he didn't and he and he will not? He comes to live out the essence of the law for us. So then, in verse eighteen, we have an example. Then, in in verse eighteen of of, of Matthew of Luke chapter sixteen, let me read that real quick. Um, Bible says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman without Uh, another woman commits adultery. And everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. It's an example. What is an example of? It's an example of the the failure of the religious elite. Uh, They thought that they were such good law keepers, but their view of marriage showed that they were not. They didn't even keep, not just the letter of the law, they certainly didn't keep the essence of the law in their own marriages. So there was this argument about divorce, and it's based off an interpretation of Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, where Moses gives instructions about divorce and if a woman becomes displeasing to her husband, then he could get rid of her. So uh, some uh, took, to mean, uh, they took this to mean that divorce was allowable anytime, for any reason. You don't like the way dinner was cooked? No. The way your wife dressed, the way she acted, she's gone. Others said, no, it's only in the case of adultery. So what does Jesus say? Everyone who divorces and marries another woman commits adultery. And what the Pharisees had done is they had minimized the significance of this most sacred of earthly relationships that God had created in Genesis 2 that we talked about earlier. A one-flesh relationship that Paul describes in Ephesians as a picture of the gospel. Just think about that, a picture of the gospel. So in Ephesians 5, what we have is the way a man loves uh, his wife is a picture of Jesus' love for his church. And the way that a woman follows the leadership of her husband is a picture of how the church follows the leadership of Jesus. So what is marriage? Marriage is this covenant relationship. It's a promise or a commitment of two people to live as one. So put your hands out, two people to live as one, and then clamp them together as an illustration of the gospel. Just as when we come to Christ, we become one with Christ. And to break that covenant is to disregard what God wants to accomplish in your marriage. So it calls into question our understanding of who God's covenant love is uh, and, and it really kind of calls into question whether or not we understand the gospel. If you're willing to break a covenant with a one flesh flesh relationship, you know, you have to wonder. So could have a long uh, we could have this long conversation about divorce and remarriage, but uh, Malachi 2:16 very clear, God hates divorce. It's not his design. The bottom line with the, is with, without with the exception of infidelity or uh, Paul talks about it first 1 Corinthians 7 as well and he says if the, if the unbelieving spouse leaves, let him leave. Uh, to divorce is sinful, to divorce and remarry, to break a covenant that you made before God, God takes that very seriously. Simply put, here it is. If you're married, even though it's a struggle, God wants you to be faithful to the vows you made to your spouse. So that is the first um, uh, reason that we, we honor marriage, all right? First reason that we honor marriage. Now, the second is this. Um, and uh, we're going to read that down the row a little bit here. Um, you, uh, the second reason is you have a hard time understanding God's plan for your spouse. So the first is we got to rely on what God said, right? As we talked about earlier. we got to go back to God. And we got to say, okay, God, what are you saying? And when, God's, when Jesus teaches us what he wants to teach us, and we look and we read Jesus' teaching, then we've got to come to the conclusion that it's all about the other person, the other spouse. That's why why Pastor Tommy said, the reason is that you have a hard time understanding God's plan for your spouse. God's plan for your spouse is not um, uh, your happiness. It's not your fulfillment. It's not you being complete. God's plan for your spouse is that your spouse would grow in Christ's likeness, right? God's plan for you is that, you would join him in the work of sanctifying your spouse. That's the design. So we need to ask a couple questions. If that's the case, then how can, number one, how can I help my spouse grow in Christ? Well, you can pray. You can pray for their spiritual growth. If you're if you don't think that your spouse is where they need to be spiritually, then pray for them. All right. What a what an op- incredible opportunity you have now to begin to bring real transformation in the life of someone else as you pray for your spouse, someone that you're that you are to be close to that you are to be influential over, and so that you are to, to guide uh, to become more like Jesus. All right, so pray. Number two, encourage spiritual growth. You know, husbands, you know, if 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 you are a husband, if the person in your life connection group is a husband, then they need to take the lead on this. You know, think about things you can do together. You can pray together. You can attend small group together. You can talk about the sermon together. You can serve together. And you can do all that right here at Northwood Baptist Church, right? Number three, affirm the work that God's. Uh, that, of God that you see in your spouse. When when something is is better, when they act better, don't say, well, it's about time. You know, say, hey, man, I see, you know, you, you really learned to control your tongue. And man, that means a lot to me. Or, you know, I appreciate that you don't uh, yell at the children anymore. Uh, that means a lot to me. Um, so we are to be kind and tenderhearted to one another. Ephesians 4.29 is a great verse. My wife's favorite verse and she certainly lives that out. Uh, so that's the first thing. How how do I help my spouse grow in Christ? How about this one? How do I discourage my spouse's growth in Christ? So if you can help them, you can also discourage them. And then it comes down to this. If you ignore your own sin, you know, maybe your sin has caused bitterness or anger or whatever in your spouse. Maybe you constantly nag. You know, uh, Proverbs 21.9, uh, Solomon, Solomon would know this. He had enough wives. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Or Number three, what about this one? Fail, when you fail to make your marriage a priority. When you fail to make a marriage, you know there's so much going on. You get the kids, you get your needs, you get your problems, you get oh you know, job, your job, you got whatever, you got your hobbies. You want to go fishing, you want to go, you know, you want to go shopping, whatever it is. But what kids need to see is a Christ-centered ma- marriage, a life that is focused on one another, not focused on the job and all, all that, that comes with that. Um, So, God's way is not easy. Would you not agree with that? God's way is not easy, but it's best, even if you're struggling. It's likely that pride and hard-heartedness and lack of forgiveness and bitterness and stubbornness have become embedded in your marriage, and for some of you, divorce sounds like a great option, but you need to stop thinking that. That's not what God desires. So, if you're struggling, how do you begin to submit, submit to God's plan? Well, you ask God for help. That's pretty. Straightforward in it, God. I need your help. I believe that He has the power to fix what you and your spouse have broken. If you're willing to submit to God, there's hope. How about confess? You need to confess to each other. Then you could need to get together, and then after you have that honest conversation, maybe have a time of confession before God. How about stop blaming? You know, it's not always the other person's fault, although we want to make it that. Well, if you hadn't, then I wouldn't have. You know, that kind of attitude. How about forgive? You know, you don't have to ask. They don't even have to be in on that part. You can forgive just to forgive. Things that have hurt you in the past, forgive them. Drop it. Be done with it. I will never, I will forgive, but I'll never forget that you haven't forgiven. All right? Get outside help. Sometimes you might need a marriage mentor. There are godly people in our church. There are godly people that you know. A third party that can help encourage you and help you to live as the Bible says. And remember the gospel. You know, we always talk about preaching the gospel to yourself, but you can do just that. You can say, hey God, um, how, how do I uh, help uh, myself is that I talk about what Jesus did, that he died and rose again to save me from my sin and to give my marriage purpose and meaning. That is a gospel-centered marriage. Alrighty, well, that's uh, the message. And what we want to do now is we want to get into the uh, discussion questions. So turn, we're in Luke chapter 12, if you remember. We're in Luke chapter 12, and we're, gonna be, we're studying verses 16 through 18 about overcoming marriages struggles. Uh, so as we start the conversation, one of the four that you want to choose, um, you might want to do, uh, if you're married, what's your story, how did you meet your spouse, those kind of things. Um, and then if you're single, then you might want to say what you're looking in for in a spouse, or maybe how God is, has become a spouse to you, where he has become your, your, your one and only, you know, and for many people in our world, that is the case. Singleness is a gift, In just the way that marriage is. Anyway, that's another story for another day. But um, and that's number four, by the way. If you're single, what are you doing now to prepare yourself for your potential future marriage? And if not, you can say, well, why you've been called to a marriage, uh, a life without marriage. All right, Um, all right. Let's talk about what we looked at in Matthew 16. And what this is not a long passage, so. It can be read over and over and over again. So uh, we're going to—I uh, would get somebody to read verses 16 through 18. First question: These verses seem to be disconnected from the surrounding context. How are these verses connected to the surrounding context? Okay, remember, uh, Jesus was going after the Pharisees, trying to show them their faults uh, about not taking care of the poor, about the way they handled money, and now he's saying, "You think you handle it all?" And they always had an answer for him. He says, "But what about your marriages? You're using." Uh, the The law to make an excuse for swapping out your younger wife or older wife for a younger wife uh, by the way uh, this is not said often, but it's interesting when um, the proverbs are talking it says uh, that we are to love the wife of our youth that's our wife that we married first all right uh, luke sixteen sixteen jesus says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. What is the significance of this statement? Well, John was John the Baptist was the the end of the, he was the last prophet. And he was the end of the Old Testament prophets. And he also began, when he introduced Jesus, what he did is he introduced the new covenant. Right? So that's what he did. And so that was the arrival of the kingdom of God when Jesus showed up. Uh, Number three, what did Jesus mean when he stated everyone is urgently invited to enter it? How can we live more urgently for the kingdom of God? Um, So, you know, uh, you might talk about how we do that. I mean, there's all kinds of ways. But right now, if we want to, using marriage as an example, then we can say, hey, I'm going to live in such a way that people see Christ living in and through me. Uh, That Jesus is able to do. In me, what I am not able to do—to live with another person—and it's, it's so important that we do that because it is our marriages that many times point people to the gospel. They say things like, "Well, if they are they are people that that kind of people, then I want to be that kind of person as well." All right. Uh, number. Let's see here. Let me. Where, where are we? Uh, let's see. I am in the wrong place. Oh, here we go. Uh, read Luke 16, 17. How did this verse impact our understanding of the law? And how should Christians think about the Old Testament law today? Is the Old Testament law binding on us today? And how should we apply the Old Testament law to our own lives? Well, number one, the law is not dead. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Um, so if that is the case, then what do we got to stop? start doing? We got to start recognizing what Jesus taught us that in his teaching that we as the people of God are able to live out the law in ways that the Old Testament people were never able to because of, the, because of the power and the purpose and the plan of God because of the Holy Spirit working in and through us and that all that was accomplished in and through the Holy Spirit of God um, we, we are away from that now and we are able more than ever to live as God would have us live. All right, um, let's jump into verse chapter 6, number 5, Luke 16, 18. Think about the preceding verses. How is verse 18 connected to the previous verses? Well, then he gets into this idea of divorce in verse 18. And you would think, man, I mean, that's kind of a leap there. You were talking about good things, and then he goes to the worst. He goes to the worst thing. And to tell you the truth, we We all have a tendency to do just that we'll 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 rip something out of context and try to make it say something it's not. So what he's saying is that as the people of God, we have an opportunity and really a responsibility to live our marriages and ways that honor God. um That means that um when the time comes, we have got to um, understand that we do not get divorced because we don't like what's going on. There's only one exception. Remember we talked about it. Malachi said it, chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2, and that is that God hates divorce. So we know it's outside the will of God because God has not changed his hate for divorce. He never designed it that way. He never made it that way. It's not his design. And so with the exception of infidelity or or the Apostle Paul says if, you're, if your fellow believer or your unbeliever husband or wife leaves you, which we call abandonment today, you're not supposed to divorce as sinful. You break a covenant that you made before God, and God takes that very seriously. So as we talk about obeying the law of God, then we are now, when we talk about how we are to do, we, we connect that verse of divorce back to those marriages because what we are saying is we want to have that God-centered marriage in that covenant relationship. In the same way that there was a covenant relationship with the God of the universe through the Old Testament, now there's a covenant relationship that we have in the New Testament. And that covenant relationship is demonstrated by the marriage of a husband and wife in covenant with one another through the good days and the bad days. All right, that was the original intent. All right, let's keep moving. Uh, number six, what does this first teach us about the nature of marriage? And what uh, does Jesus tell us that divorce and remarriage is adultery? Why does Jesus tell us, excuse me, that divorce and remarriage is adultery? What is the point point that Jesus is driving home? Very similar to what I just said. Um, You can maybe combine those two questions, but uh, those things are going to work together. The plan of God, the work of God, and the will of God are working together to accomplish the work of God. All right. All right, let's jump into the interpretation and what it means. And then don't skip the question. Kind of go through and say, okay, what am I going to, how does this apply to the, to the life of Christ? How does this apply to God and demonstrate God to us? Uh, how does this uh, show us uh, what, what's going on? So kind of get this verse and, and kind of put it together that marriage is uh, something along the lines, the plan of God that we would demonstrate the gospel in our relationship with one another. Something along that lines a good theological reflection kind of puts marriage back in God's court rather than uh, doing it me-centered like we talked about in the message. And then theological reflection. Where can you find Christ in this? Where can you find Christ in this message? And you might want to go back to understanding that uh, as we talked about the gospel, just as a husband and wife are united, through Jesus Christ, we can be united to the God of the universe. And that happens when we come to know Christ as Savior and Lord of their life. Anyway, that would be a good way, kind of push them that direction, using the marriage relationship as that gospel relationship as well. All right, let's get in the application. We'll be done. Number one, if you are married, what is God's plan for your marriage, and how are you living out God's plan for your marriage? If you're not married, how does this text apply to you? So uh, this text does apply to everyone. Every scripture in the Bible, all scriptures is is, is appropriate, or uh, useful, for uh, for correction, for for um, for uh, exhortation, for encouragement. So how is uh, and for whatever we need. So that's so how does this apply to you? All right. Uh, number two, uh, what can you do this week to re- to replace unrealistic expectations? With realistic expectations for your spouse, if you're single, how can you have realistic expectations of what marriage might look like, and uh, you might have to live uh, look like for you uh, someday? All right. So uh, again, those are things that you're going to have to answer yourself. But uh, certainly, um, what we want to do as the people of God is we want to go back to what does God look for in our marriage? Uh, things like how, if you're married, how can I? Uh, how can I live for, live for Christ and demonstrate love to my spouse? Um, we talked about in the message about unrealistic expectations. Uh, you know, the, the idea of spouse, my spouse is going to be the source of my ultimate fulfillment, happiness. And by the way, that's on page five. If you want to go back there in the uh, first two, three paragraphs, first a uh, third paragraph, you put it realistic expectations. And even whether we're single or married, what we do is we take that passage and we think when I get married, I will be fulfilled. When I get married, I will have ultimate happiness, um, because or because I'm one flesh. Uh, we should all be able to read our minds, or, or my my uh, sexual relationship with them should be perfect. Uh, we all like the same, you know, all those things, and it, it gives a realistic expectations there. And you might want to go back and look at that as you study for this. Number three, how can your marriage? How, excuse me, how can you encourage spiritual growth in your spouses? spouse? Spouse this week. Remember what we talked about? How do we do that? Um, we can pray for them. That was the number one thing. Uh, we pray for them. We encourage them in their spiritual growth. We affirm the work of God. So what I'm, what we recommend is that you take one of those things. Maybe this is the week that you start praying and encourage your life connection group that way. Maybe this is the week that you, you pray for them, but you haven't encouraged them in their spiritual growth. Instead of saying, remember we talked about, instead of saying, it's about time, say, so glad that I see you, right? And then you affirm it when, when it happens. You say, man, this is great. It's Great to see God at work. in you." And then the discouraging, just, this is what you don't need to do. Ignore your own sin, constantly nag, and fail to make your marriage a priority. And by the way, that's all at the end of page six, if you want to go back and read that. It's actually almost all of page six. All right, guys, that's all we have for you. I hope that helps you out a little bit, and I pray that uh, this will be a wonderful opportunity, whether you're single or married, to understand what God's expectations and and understanding of marriage is as we hear the words of Jesus. Let's pray and we will see you Sunday. Father thank you so much that you gave us marriage as a wonderful covenant relationship and God I pray that we would demonstrate our love for you by our love for our spouse and that people would see Jesus in us and for those single those who are single in our church or that they would also not have unrealistic expectations of what marriage is going to do for them, but where you have placed them, where they are, that they would continue to live for you in such a strong and powerful way. Lord, help them to remember that as long as they're not married, they don't have to answer to a spouse. They can go out and do the work of God like never before, and not to spend their entire life being all wrapped up in what it means to be a spouse. God, use us this week. Help us to help us to grow in Christ as we help our spouse grow in Christ. And uh, Lord, help us to grow in Christ as we determine what we should be and realistically expect, uh, no matter married or single, what marriage is going to do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you soon.